Tonight, a special presentation of the ABC Sunday Night Movie. From the creators of the Star Wars saga, a world premiere presentation. A bold adventure of courage and daring. Where heroes become legends, and the only thing you can be sure of is magic. Lucasfilm's The Ewok Adventure. Brought to you by Huggies, the diapers that help stop leaking. And Nestle. When it comes to quality food products, Nestle makes the very best. And by McDonald's. It's a good time for the great taste of McDonald's. Let's begin now. Jason and this is Gabe and welcome to Ewok month tonight's continuing fantasy adventure of Sindel and the Ewoks contains some scenes of suspense and jeopardy which may be too intense for very young viewers parents are encouraged to watch with their children Lucasfilm presents the Ewok adventure next the tiny forest moon of Endor is home to a race of small furry creatures known as Ewoks. We figured if we're going to talk the talk, we got to Ewok the walk. <laughs> we, we can't just do one episode. Or two episodes, or three episodes, or even four episodes. We got to pick one of the longest months of the year and do five episodes. That's that's how we roll around here. We we go we go all in. Yeah, if you if you haven't heard already, yeah, all this month it's all Ewoks all the time. This week we're starting with 1984's magnificent Caravan of Courage, also known as the Ewok Adventure. Fun fact, with Ewok Month, the whole idea of kind of doing Ewok Month kind of stems out of Star Wars Celebration getting canceled, where originally if we were going to be on the podcast stage, this was our idea that we pitched, not a five, (laughs) six-hour examination of of Ewoks in film, but a kind of like a, a side note for Saga Year, where we would have done a live soggy year episode for the the two ewok films but that got canceled so we're like well let's just do it for the whole month of september what better way than to drown our sorrows of not having celebration than to just talk about ewoks for an entire month <laughs> we get drunk on ewoks it can happen you got to be careful you shouldn't operate heavy machinery while talking about ewoks definitely don't drive don't drive a bus don't drive a big truck you can hang glide though that's totally okay You can hang glide, you can ride a horse, but any other big machinery, stay away. So before we start diving into the history of Caravan Courage, we should give a little bit of background with our personal experiences with the Ewok films. I mean, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know we have a special affinity for the Ewok saga. 
And it was surprising, like, coming into starting to do research and talking to other people, like, oh, we're doing Ewok Month. So many people, I've never seen those movies ever. I don't even know. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of people that have never seen them. And that, I think that's just because they haven't been available for so long. And it doesn't seem like they're going to be available again anytime soon. Yeah, because if I have... If I have to list my greatest regrets in life, the fact that I didn't buy the DVD set when it came out, I think is is towards the top of the list. It was like, oh, it'll I'll just get it later when it's on sale or something. And then no, it just it disappeared and now it's no longer exists. Unless you want to pay oh last time I checked, what was it like sixty or seventy dollars for the DVD? It's kind of worth it. it. Yeah. Now now that I say it out loud, it is kind of worth it. <laughs> Uh, but they were uh, available for what, like a month on Amazon Prime, you could buy them. But I feel like for us, a lot of our feelings towards the Ewok movies probably just come from the age we were when they came out on TV. Like we were both just about eight years old, eight, maybe nine. It was just a year after Return of the Jedi. And we were freaking out. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's more Star Wars, but on TV, I don't even have to go anywhere. This is incredible. More Ewoks. How did how did this come about? It's like, this is amazing. And it's broadcast in stereo on the radio. So it's like I'm at the movie theater. It was George Lucas pushing the technology in your own house. You didn't even have to go anywhere. What are your specific memories? Because thinking back, what's funny to me is I don't remember the two as separate movies. And I think in my memories, I mostly remember the first one coming out. But the second one is kind of mixed in with the memories of the first one. And I guess I'm curious what your memories are. Because I almost wonder if, and we won't get into it in this episode, but just how dark the second one is. If it was like, just like too intense for my little mind. And I kind of like didn't want to think about that one. I can kind of remember both of them. The first one... I remember it was just a major moment, and I listened to it on the radio with headphones on. I remember it started at 8, and I remember making a deal with my parents that I was going to be up until 10 to watch it, and there was no way getting around that, because I think I still, it was on a Sunday night, and I think I still had school the next morning, but I was like, I'm going to be up until 10. It's a new Star Wars movie on TV. I've got to watch it. And it was like, oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> and I remember thinking it was incredible and epic. And I remember the battle for Endor. And I, cause I remember like thinking, this seems a little strange. There were things, cause I was still thinking this was going to be a Star Wars movie. And I remember thinking like, well, but yeah. And I just remember thinking like it was, for me, it was just on par with, Return the Jedi. I was like, this is incredible. This is epic. It was, this is more Star Wars. I was just, I was hungry for it. I was ready to go. Well, yeah. Another funny thing thinking back to is I remember watching it and being excited, but I don't remember any other kids at school talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder if that was like foreshadowing the future. <laughs> things, things. Don't I think I remember the same thing, like going, it's going to be like, anybody watch the Ewok adventure last night? <laughs> no, just me. What? But yeah, it's kind of sad how they've just kind of been forgotten now. And there's a lot of YouTube videos out there where people saying like, these are the movies Lucasfilm doesn't want you to see. And there's like all these conspiracies on why, you know, and it, it doesn't fit with the canon and all the all this junk. And it's kind of like the holiday special. I don't think it's really a priority really too much. Well, and it's different than the holiday special because the holiday special, like George Lucas is on record saying that that's no good and he wasn't happy with it and he wants to smash it with a hammer or whatever craziness he said. But he's never said anything bad that I remember about the Ewok movies. And the Ewok movies led to the Ewok cartoons. And it was kind of an era of Lucasfilm that I guess it's, if anything, it's like the Gendy Clone Wars where it's something that was popular at the time. It had its fans and for whatever reason has kind of just been lost to the, the winds of time and it exists, but kind of out in the fringes and not officially, which hopefully now with Disney plus that someday all this kind of Star Wars craziness will find a home. But until then, yeah, it's kind of, they're like, 
myths and legends that Star Wars fans tell each other about. Well, and I think the comparison to the Jendi Clone Wars is totally spot on, too, because just like that show, the Ewok movies kind of led to a lot of things that are still happening in Star Wars. Like, the the tree is still growing that was planted from the, the Ewok movies, believe it or not. It's still out there, and it's still kind of led to a lot of today's stuff. And I don't know. I I think like our whole thing with Ewok Movie Month, though, is because there's not a whole lot of excitement about these movies out there. We're we're trying to share the excitement and the love for these films. And if if any of our passion for the the Ewok films can rub off on folks. Yeah, and, and the original Star Wars standalone films. Then that I think that's kind of what we're trying for out there. Yeah, it's saga year, and these are two films in the saga, and they were theatrical in certain countries, so they technically count. And even if they don't, we've we've moved beyond Star Wars being strictly big screen stuff, and we're now in the world of. Clone Wars and Mandalorian where stuff on TV has just as many fans and is just a big deal as any of the theatrical movies. And yeah, like you said, Star Wars on TV started here more so than the holiday special. Even the holiday special was kind of a crazy experiment, maybe a failed experiment where these were a rough draft or a dress rehearsal of what the future of Star Wars on TV could be. Someday. I love the movie. From the creators of the Star Wars saga. It's terrific. Exciting. Great. The movie everyone's waiting to see. I love the Ewoks. You fall in love with the characters. We really enjoyed it. Very good. Lucasfilm's The Ewok Adventure. Then at a special time, 10, 9 Central, Mark of the Judge, save a girl from an army of renegade cops. Jumper, I'll blow your stinking head off! Hard Castle and McCormick after the Ewok Adventure, all starting at 8, 7 Central. Sunday. So what's the story? How in the world did these made-for-TV Ewok movies get made? And to to kind of start the very, very beginning, we've got to go back to Return of the Jedi, where the Ewoks, though kind of the popular opinion around that time was that a lot of older fans didn't like the Ewoks, there, there was a huge marketing push for the Ewoks. Like, Ewoks were everywhere. Like, do you remember that? Like around that time, you'd go to like J.C. Penney's or and stuff, and there was just Ewoks left and right. There was more Ewoks stuff than there was Ewoks in the movies, and this was just after Return of the Jedi, like before even the cartoons came out or these movies came out. There was just a lot of Ewok stuff, and younger fans really, really loved the Ewoks. I never had a problem with them ever. Yeah, I always liked them. It's like they're they're no different than any other creatures in Star Wars. They're just a little bit chubbier and furrier, but they're just more of my buddies, little creatures that I want to hang out with. So Lucas, around this time, he says he's retired from directing. He wants to raise his kids. He wants to focus on that. But also there's the very real thing that Skywalker Ranch was still being built. And he was in the thick of a very messy and expensive divorce with Marsha. And in this time of him being just being a dad and focusing on that there's young amanda lucas who is in love with the ewoks her dad's crazy creation and probably sometime around this time i don't know she probably asks her dad like why aren't there more stories about ewoks out there that's what i would do (laughs) and he's probably just like hey the ewoks are selling tons of merchandise and my daughter really likes them why can't I just go and make a little half hour, little short, little Ewok movie? We've already got all the suits, all the costumes. It, it's pretty easy. We could just do this. And it was an excuse to do something Star Wars on TV, something other than the holiday special. At this time, enter Bob Corot, who was in his early 20s, and he was an assistant to to George Lucas, and he... I believe was a nanny, right, to to Amanda. Yeah, I think he was Amanda's nanny and then George Lucas's assistant as well. It's one of those very George Lucas, Lucasfilm kind of things, too, where 
maybe at first thought it sounds kind of crazy, but it's that Lucas kind of crazy where it's like he knows somebody that's interested in this stuff. He doesn't want to do it. So why not have this person he knows that's interested help him out? And it's not, he's not, you know, hiring a screenwriter from Hollywood to come down and do their thing. He's basically, you know, has another set of hands to help him come up with this script and this story. And it's someone he could probably talk to every day about the movie because he's around him all the time anyway. So Bob Caro is hired to write what at the time is called, it was the Ewok holiday special. I believe the the earliest version is called because it was going to come out around Thanksgiving 1984. And I think, yeah, their original idea is just this half-hour little Goldilocks and the Three Bears-inspired short for kids that would just play on network TV around Thanksgiving time. And I didn't realize that Bob Corot went on to write not only several, several episodes of the Ewok cartoon, but also co-wrote the Star Wars Guide to Wildlife with Tara Whitlatch in the post-Phantom Menace era. So he kind of hung around in Star Wars for a while, which is fascinating. So this Ewok holiday special, it needed a producer. And so now enter former CEO of ILM, Thomas G. Smith. He kind of wanted to get out of the the special effects thing and get in back into producing. So he was hired as a producer and he pitches it to all the TV studios. Everyone turns it down except for ABC with the only deal that this half hour little short gets turned into two hour thing so they can have it as a Sunday night movie of the week on ABC, which we're going to get into as we go through the movie. You can kind of tell that maybe it was like a half hour at one time and it was kind of stretched out and you know, what what ends up is like a 96 minute kind of thing. That's part of its charm. So they needed a director. So at this time enter John Cordy. Which John Cordy has a fascinating long history with Lucasfilm, right? Yeah, where John Cordy goes way, way back to pre-Lucasfilm, to pre-American Zoetrope, basically way, way back where he made a film called The Crazy Quilt in San Francisco. And I think it showed at a art museum or something. And Lucas was there. He saw the movie. And was really fascinated by this guy, John Cordy, because he made the movie out of his own facility, which was in a barn in Stinson Beach, which is just north of San Francisco. And I always thought reading this like, oh, it's like a farm because there's a barn, but it's actually that's a beach. So it was like a barn on the beach next to the ocean. (laughs) So, wow. Yeah. But basically, yeah, in this barn, he had all his own editing equipment and he privately raised a hundred thousand dollars to fund this film shot it locally edited it himself lucas kind of freaked out because this was like his dream basically and he says you got to talk to francis and they immediately go find a payphone and call up francis ford coppola and after that coppola and lucas check out all his stuff And Coppola says, Cordy inspired us both. He was a real innovator. So, you know, way, way back then, he's kind of the guy that inspired them to start their own company and to kind of gave them the the courage to say, screw you, Hollywood, we're going to do our thing up here in in Northern California. Yeah, and that whole idea of like a little movie studio in a barn, you can see the roots of American Zoetrope in that and eventually... Lucasfilm, Skywalker Ranch, the, all the concepts of that are all come from John Cordy. And then in 1983, John Cordy and George Lucas teamed up to make the animated film Twice Upon a Time. Once upon a time, there were heroes. Some heroes, huh? And villains. I'm a genius. And damsels in distress. Actual distress. Now, Academy Award winner John Corty and Lucasfilm Limited take you to a place so far out, you'll never, never land. Distress damsels are my meat and potatoes. All right, I'm wearing rubber underwear. You are not a Jedi yet. It is a nice to mess with fairy godmothers. The tallest tale you could never possibly imagine is coming at you. Ah, uh, thank you. 
And it can only happen twice upon a time. That was, what, Lucasfilm's very first step into animation without the, the holiday special cartoon. And it's one of those rare... 1983 non-Star Wars, non-Indiana Jones, Lucasfilm Productions, which there weren't that many at that time. And sadly, Twice Upon a Time, it was distributed by Alan Ladd Jr.'s, the Ladd Company, and they were going bankrupt, and they could only afford, they had that and the right stuff, and they could only afford to theatrically release one of the movies, so they chose the right stuff. And Twice Upon a Time just kind of got lost. And I remember watching it on HBO, because there were commercials on HBO where it was like from George Lucas. And I was like, Woo, what? It's this weird, like Terry Gilliam kind of cutout animation thing. And it's been kind of lost to time. Warner archives just put it out on DVD in 2015. I believe it's really fascinating. There's clips of it on YouTube and you should check it out. Yeah. Cordy, John Cordy has a good quote about him coming on to the Ewok movie. He says, I couldn't figure out if I was doing George a favor or if he was doing me a favor, it's not a film I would have chosen to do on my own. But every, everything I read with John Cordy on the movie, he had like a great attitude about it. It's like he kind of knew what he was making. It's a good-looking movie, The Ewok Adventure. It really is. It's got some nice shots. Yeah, for a television movie, definitely. And Cordy was doing other TV movies at the time, so it kind of makes sense to bring in somebody... Somebody Lucas knows, someone who's got the same mindset of them of, let's just do this with our friends, basically, and do it up here in Northern California. Um, Because as we go through more of the people who worked on this film, it's just like the close-knit circle of ILM Star Wars people. So they've got a $3 million budget. And pre-production begins in April 1984, just seven months before it's supposed to air. They begin casting. They find young Aubrey Miller as Sindel from a, she was modeling children's clothing. And I always forget, like, until I watch the Ewok Adventure, just how young she is in this first movie. She's really little. She's four, right? Yeah. <laughs> and now that I have kids, like I'm thinking back when they were four, it's like, that's a really little kid. <laughs> she couldn't read. She, so what they had to just, she was just repeating lines. I think it was John Cordy, like saying her lines to her and she just says them back, but she does an amazing job. She, she might even be better than Mace. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of Mace, Eric Walker he was, I think he was just found through a regular audition. He had like this audition tape where he's crying, and he was cast as, yeah, Mace, the older brother. And, uh, yeah, and Warwick Davis was back as Wicket, and a lot of the performers from Return of the Jedi as the, the Ewoks all, all came back. And then in June of 1984, pretty much filming in Skywalker Ranch's backyard, filming begins. But as filming goes on, Lucas for whatever reason, just couldn't stay away. And apparently he kept rewriting some scenes and basically trying to nudge Cordy along without actually, you know, being on set, but kind of trying to coerce him into doing things. And Cordy has a great quote where he says, as the shooting went on, George, his big thing is let's have more conflict. Let's have more fights. Let's have more explosions. (laughs) And he goes on More basically saying, I was probably trying to deal with the relationships more. And at one point late in the shooting, I got a memo from him or something about, we need another fight. And why don't we do this to the monster and drop a bomb on him or something? And a little bit more explosions. Drop a bomb on the monster. That's what the people want. What? So Lucas was trying to (laughs) sprinkle that Lucas dust all over uh, this production. Those kids are going to hate this monster. We got to bomb it. We've got to kill it two or three times, which they do. <laughs> so, yeah, Lucas, he couldn't stay away. And when they had to go and do reshoots and John Cordy wasn't available, Lucas directed everything. And there's a handful of shots in the movie. Eric Walker said in an interview in uh, Star Wars Insider, number 62, he go, Eric Walker goes scene by scene and will tell you like what scenes George Lucas directed. And one of them is this amazing scene where May sees this like fuzzy little booger like worm in a tree and he goes over to pet it and it turns into like this monster 
space slug thing that tries to bite his arm off. It doesn't have anything to do with anything in the rest of the movie, but it's directed by George Lucas. And technically that's, you know, post return, the Jedi star Wars things directed by George Lucas. It's there, which that scene too was originally filmed as like Mace was like engulfed with flowers or something. Like he went to go pick a flower and the flowers like attacked him no one's ever seen that footage, but it's probably in the archive somewhere. Maybe, hopefully. They reshot the ending where originally the ending was going to be Mace and Sindel's family and the Ewoks dancing in the snow, which maybe fit in more with the holiday special kind of theme. And also, wait, what? It's snowing on Endor? That's kind of weird, but whatever. We can get past it. And a lot of this, like the snowing on Endor stuff and the whole Tawani family being on Endor, it the question that always comes up with the Ewok movies over and over again is, well, when do they fit into the canon? For the longest time, people said they were between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. But then it's like, well, Wicket is speaking English. And how does that make sense? Eric Walker said in a 2015 Empire Magazine interview, and I believe... Tom Smith said in Bantha Tracks back in the day that they take place 150 years after Return of the Jedi, which is kind of outrageous and kind of awesome. But the truth is, with when these movies take place in the the timeline and the canon, whatever, is it doesn't matter <laughs> because they're not real. Doesn't matter. It's all made up. For all we know, these are stories that Wicket tells his children. In the scene in Rise of Skywalker, when Wicket's in the woods with his little boy, these are the stories he told him before bed of his adventures. These are Ewok fairy tales. These are like Ewok folk tales. Maybe for all we know, doesn't matter. None of it's real. So. <laughs> so filming is completed, and we move into post-production, and. There was a lot of map painting work going on in Caravan of Courage, the Ewok Adventure. ILM's Michael Pangrazio, who now works for Weta, was working along with Craig Barron and Chris Evans, who those two went on to start Matt World Digital. Did a ton of amazing work, but they, they were all the heads of the Matt department at ILM. Did incredible work on the movie and working on Caravan of Courage. As an optical cameraman was some guy named David Fincher, who I don't know what I don't know whatever happened to him. But that that makes sense because he did work for ILM during Return of the Jedi as well. So it's a lot of yeah the Return of the Jedi crew kind of coming over and if not doing what they did on Jedi, having a chance to kind of stretch out and try something new. ILM's legendary John Berg played the giant monster of the film, the Gorax. And also on board were the legendary Phil Tippett. They didn't have time to do go motion. And so they had to just do old school traditional stop motion because it had to be done so quickly. And hired as the production designer and kind of linking it all to the existing Star Wars universe at that time was the one and only Joe Johnston, who was working on this film while also getting his degree at USC. His quote in the Cinema of George Lucas book says, I told George I'd been working with him for about 10 years and I'd like to take some time off to travel. George suggested that I use the time to go to film school and that if he went to USC, he would keep me on half salary and pay all his tuition fees. (laughs) That way I could go to the front of the line, pick any of the classes I wanted. It was a very generous offer. That George Lucas... He's a sweetheart. It's it's too bad all that uh, college education didn't do uh, Joe Johnson any good. Like, wh- what did he do after this? Not much. <laughs> I'm joking. So Joe Johnson went on to say, the effects we did on the Ewok Adventures were pretty primitive. We did force perspective and glass paintings, back to basic things that have been around since the 1920s. George just told us to go out there and have some fun. Which, yeah, watching... These movies now today, they're full of incredible map painting work. The stop motion stuff is just insanely charming. In context, like now watching it, you're like, oh, this movie's just old. It has stop motion. But 
1984, because of Empire and Jedi, the the days of movies with a lot of stop motion were kind of going away. It wasn't a thing that movies were doing a lot of anymore. So it's kind of almost like a charming throwback to a Ray Harryhausen movie or something to have this adventure movie with a stop motion creature in it. So during filming, a rough assembly cut was made, and it was about 78 minutes long. And yeah, and around this time, this is when George Lucas was going back and doing reshoots and probably wanting to add more explosions and more conflict. And eventually, by September 6th, it had been padded out to 96 minutes. And also towards the end of September, Burl Ives is hired in to do narration, which Burl Ives, we all know, from like the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, like like holiday classic cartoons, and kind of having Burl Ives' voice in there also kind of adds to the Ewok holiday specialness. It just makes it sound like Christmas time, like holiday times, you know, having Burl Ives in there. But the thing I wonder with Burl Ives coming in kind of so late, just a, a month or so before it was to air on television – do you think the Burl Ives narration was always there, or was that kind of added at the last minute? I feel like it was added at the last minute, especially since he's isn't he credited as like special guest narrator? Yeah, if you watch Caravan of Courage, the first ten minutes without the sound on, or or try and watch it without the Burl Ives narration, just don't pay attention to it. It starts kind of just like the holiday special. Yeah, it's a hundred percent the holiday special. You get. Yeah, a few seconds of the of the parents at the beginning, and then when as soon as it cuts to Ewok Village, yeah, it's the holiday special. It's I what is it? Ten minutes <laughs> of just Ewok adventure before they run into the kids, and at least and the kids start speaking English, and it's just Ewoks speaking Ewokese. So it's yeah, it's a solid chunk of time where it's just like <laughs> it's kind of wild, and the Burl Lives narration really kind of smooths it out. Where he's like, "Oh, and here's the Ewoks, and look at them, look at what they do, and they're so cute." And it makes me wonder, like, if, could Burl Lives have narrated the the holiday special? Like, if he could have came in and be like, "Oh, and there's Mala." Oh, and they're wondering, where is Chewbacca? That would have really kind of helped things out in the holiday special a little bit. Well, what's funny thinking about this is I think Burl Ives would have been more helpful in the holiday special because that was the holiday special. But in a way, the Burl Ives is a little weird because other than it being Burl Ives and coming out in November, there's nothing holiday Christmassy about the story at all. So I guess it just adds to the weirdness that it is the narrator from... Christmas stuff, narrating a movie that has nothing to do with snow or Santa or the North Pole or giving, I guess they get gifts. So that's, maybe that's it. Things move on and uh, the score was done by Peter Bernstein, who is the son of Elmer Bernstein. And technically Peter Bernstein's score for the uh, the Caravan of Courage, the, Ew- the Ewok Adventure, is the first Star Wars movie with a score not by John Williams. Really, Peter Bernstein was the first. Yeah, and if you watch the movie, you might hear that it sounds like he was a big fan of the original series of Star Trek because the theme song from Caravan of Courage is very, very, very close to the Star Trek theme song from the original series. <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's what I say. I gotta let you know this isn't just a forest, it's a space forest. Supposedly, all the editing was done by George Lucas, which is kind of surprising because the Ewok adventure is neither faster or more intense. But it's an interesting time capsule of Lucasness because it's almost like George Lucas put in the opposite situation of where he's of what he's known for and maybe what he thrives in, as opposed to taking something complicated and editing it down to faster more intense and more exciting he's he had less stuff that he had to edit to be longer so it's kind of like counterintuitive to everything his whole career was built around so it comes out on november 25th 1984 and yeah like we said it was broadcast on the radio in stereo so all these 
eight-year-old kids with headphones on watching the Ewok adventure. And it had the second highest rating for a Sunday night movie that year in 1984. It was nominated for two Emmys. And in Mexico, Australia, New Zealand, and parts of Europe, it had a theatrical release, which is just incredible. And if you listening, if you saw Caravan of Courage in the theater as a kid, please, please let us know. What was that like? I'm really curious what the quality was like, because after only seeing it on TV and even the DVDs, like, did they film it on 35 millimeter film? Like, did they film it on something that an ordinary theatrical release would be filmed on? Or did they film it on something cheaper because it was only going to be on TV? It looks like it's 35 millimeter. Like the DVD, it looks like a movie. But I remember in like 84 and for the longest time in like the VHS copies, Looked pretty grainy. Yeah, well, and that's why I wonder if if the theatrical release was a film print. Like, is that higher quality than what we saw? I mean, it definitely would have been higher quality than what you saw on TV in 1984 because just the resolution of TVs. But like, is there? You know, could could they make a a Blu-ray of the Ewok Adventure? Like, can they rescan the the original negatives? Like, how clear does this exist? Secrets, Star Wars secrets, somewhere in the vault. Who knows? It's going to show up in 4K HDR on Disney Plus someday. So one of the best things that with the theatrical releases in France, instead of the end credit music, there was a song, an original song by French pop star Dorothy, with two E's at the end, with her hit song, Le Petit Ewok, translated to The Little Ewoks. music video for the little Ewoks. She's played it in concert with Ewoks dancing on stage with her. It's all on YouTube. It's amazing. If the only reason the Ewok movie existed was to have an excuse for this song and her live concerts to exist, it would have been worth its existence. I love this song so much. Why it's not being played at every Star Wars celebration, I have no idea. (laughs) I'm a huge fan. She also did a song for the Ewok cartoon. Sadly, there is no song for the Battle for Endor, but that's next week. So ABC supposedly wanted a series and asked if it could be like a pilot for a potential Ewok live action TV show. They said no, but they left open the possibility of a sequel. And we'll get to next week. The cast members were signed on for three films. There's always a chance. Instead of doing three trilogies, they can do films, three films. So, you know, we didn't think there'd be a third trilogy so there's always a chance there'll be a third ewok movie never say never so as weird and wild and kind of like oh the ewok movies are so crazy they're the movies lucasfilm doesn't want you to see they also were a test for a couple things it's much more it's just fantasy it's much more goldilocks and the three bears it's much more fairy tale than anything in star wars more blatantly fairy tale and you can kind of see Lucas kind of getting closer to Willow. And in next week's episode, when we talk about the battle for Endor, it's really Willow. Yeah, it's really the transition of Lucas going from his sci-fi fantasy into full-on fairy tale mythology fantasy. Yeah, and really, this was the first test of doing... Star Wars on television, doing a smaller, smaller only in scale of not a giant film production, smaller in cost, faster, cheaper, less hands-on, using people that you trust, people that you know. Can we make a Star Wars product on television kind of faster and cheaper? And Tom Smith had an interesting quote in Starlog 
where he says it's very difficult doing a Star Wars or a Jedi that involves three years of work. I suspect we'll be doing more things like this movie for television. They'll be projects that can still use the story ideas of George Lucas and the talents of Industrial Light and Magic, but these movies will be less ambitious. They won't be three-year projects. And if you, you, if you read that quote from Thomas Smith and you think about what's going on in Star Wars right now, with the Mandalorian, the, the upcoming Obi-Wan Kenobi show, and Cassian, and the volume. I mean, that's kind of exactly what they're talking about. And like you said, especially Caravan of Courage is really kind of, yeah, like the rough draft of the future. You can even throw Clone Wars in there. Because, I mean, for 10 years, this is how they made Clone Wars. It was a small group of people at Skywalker doing this because it was animation they were able to do it in one place but even before the sale to disney when they were trying to do the original idea for the tv show weren't they trying to build a soundstage and everything on skywalker ranch so that they could film all the live action there and not have to go on location or down to la or or anywhere else and they just they weren't able to get that building approved now with Mandalorian, it's it's similar. I mean, they have their place down in L.A. where they're filming everything, but it's it's kind of the same idea of let's just keep this a small group of people and, and just do it close by. We don't have to fly around the world and just whip these things out fast and cheap and have fun with it. Yeah, like Joe Johnson's quote, George just told us to go out there and have fun. Fly across the heavens to the forest moon of Endor to a world of wonder and magic, the ultimate in adventure. A new dimension in excitement. Lucasfilm's The Ewok Adventure at 8, 7 Central. Sunday. So let's run through some chunky bits, some hot moments from Caravan of Courage. Some of our favorite bits from the movie. Yeah, like we said, it opens up with uh, the parents getting lost in the woods. They're looking for... Sindel and Mace, and then the Gorax comes out of the woods. Right in the, right away, you know you're watching something hot because you got a, a guy in a giant suit walking in slow motion. The first couple shots of the parents with the flashlights is like full on ET. Oh, it's yeah, totally ET, which makes sense because ET was just two years before this. So everybody, you know, it's like oh, this is oh, this is like ET on television. Oh, <laughs> well, after that. We talked about it a little bit briefly, but it goes full-on holiday special. It's literally just Ewoks talking to each other. Burl Ives is talking, but you don't pay attention to that. You're just listening to the the Ewok family banter between Deej and Wicket. And what was the mom's name? It's not Shodu, is it? Yeah, Shodu's the mom. So there's Shodu. And they know what, what the kids want to see. There's an Ewok baby right away. Shodu's holding the baby. And Wicket falls out of a swing or something and goes over to his dad, Deej, because, what, the, their brothers are missing? I think so, yeah. Deej will use his skin glider to search for his missing sons. Wicket. Wicket, the youngest, is told he must stay behind. Acha. <laughs> So that that whole part, it really gets you, it sucks you in. You know what you're in for? Because we, what, they go and there's the hang glider and a goat eats a rope. Ropes and goats. There's so much Ewok talk. Yeah, like there's a sarder, sarder, this, this, sarder, sarder. And... Ben Burt's name isn't specifically in the credits I was watching for him, but Sprocket Systems is. And there was an article in an old Starlog where Randy Tom, who, you know, from our Sounds of episodes, worked with Ben Burt all over the place. He kind of went nuts on the Ewok adventure with vastly expanding the Ewok language, which was created for Return of the Jedi. And he came up with like a whole, like, Ewok translation guide. Yeah, don't they say that if you if you understand Ewokese, you can actually translate the whole movie because all the dialogue is like Ewok correct? 
See, that's why I don't fully believe that Ben Burt wasn't working a little bit on this movie. You know, he, he was probably pretty busy with Temple of Doom. But maybe, he, you know, he was checking in on the Caravan of the Courage. He could have said, you know, I'm going to let you guys work on this. But under one condition, you have to be able to translate all the Ewok stuff and have it make sense. Because when he watches it, he watches the Ewok cut where everything else is muted except for the Ewok dialogue. So they, they find this crash ship and they find Sindel and her headband and uh, Brother Mace who Mace looks like every kid in every 80s movie that was ever made. And if you remember from the Ewok storybook episodes, that Mace is a jerk, and he comes out as a jerk right from the beginning. But I guess that's his arc in the movie, is by the end he's a little bit less of a jerk. But he comes out right away, choking an Ewok, making you hate him. Take your hands off that Ewok! The Sindel is sick and she's laying in this Ewok bed, coughing for what seems like an hour. Then Wicket like brings her flowers and then they gotta go get more medicine and that that does have I think my favorite dialogue of the whole movie when Mace is just like eat, eat, food, eat, eat. <laughs> that, that goes on for almost as long as the Ewok talk at the beginning. Yeah, there's the scene that George Lucas directed where Mace puts his hand in a tree and they're looking for medicine. And the, the slug thing that bites Mace's arm is the actual space slug from The Empire Strikes Back. If you're a big fan of the space slug, do not watch this movie because you see what they did to the space slug from The Empire Strikes Back. Another similarity to the holiday special where priceless heirlooms of the original Star Wars movies were modified questionably for these t television shows we just we got a worm thing go get it and put some put some boogers on it i don't know well up next though is probably one of my favorite scenes in the whole ewok adventure sindel is feeling better and her and wicket are sitting at a table having a little chit chat and it's they're talking about star cruisers Furry? I wish we had furry creatures like you where I came from. Oh. We came on a star cruiser and we crashed. We crashed? Star cruiser? <laughs> star cruiser? That's it. Star cruiser. Star cruiser? Star cruiser. And it crashed. Crashed? Star Cruiser. Yeah, that's it. Don't you have a Star Cruiser? Star Cruiser. Hmm. Wicked begins to learn English. But what's really, it is great. What I think thinking back and going back, even watching this movie, that this movie was made for little, little kids. It kind of ultimately led to Phantom Menace kind of skewering to a, a younger age group, but that really kind of started here with the Ewok movie because the story, as ridiculous as it can be, is very simple. And the dialogue is extremely simple because the English is almost as simple as what the Ewoks are saying, <laughs> which really gives it this kind of like otherworldly Star Wars-ness in a way. There's something about it, and maybe that's the thing that as un-Star Wars as it is, it's Barely Star Wars, but it's also still, yeah, very Star Wars in a weird way. Well, it's almost like if you took the cantina scene before Luke starts talking to Obi-Wan and you stretched it out for two hours where it's just like it's creatures and there's some humans and everyone speaks to each other in very short sentences with like two or three words in them. Or it's like a live action version of a book you would give a three-year-old to read which also that all of that is just very george lucas too <laughs> yeah, yeah and also like at this point with the star cruiser scene i stopped it and i checked the time and you're a quarter of the way into the movie with the star cruiser scene and what's happened sindel has gotten sick not much the story hasn't even started yet <laughs> and it's it's kind of like it's george lucas's vision of abstract cinema Maybe in its most widely released form, kind of, because it's really kind of abstract and vague, like what is going on at this point. And you're just kind of along with the ride. But it, I, I imagine someone who had never seen Return of the Jedi watching this 
they wouldn't know what the heck was going on. <laughs> like, what is this planet of teddy bears and what is happening here? Because there's no a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away before this happens. It's kind of like, oh, okay, like the Brian De Palma. People got to know when this is. You're just in it. There's just that little taste at the beginning that, okay, the parents are missing. But then it's immediately just some Ewoks hanging out, flying hang gliders. Okay, I'm cool with this. They run away. Sindel and Mace run away. They're chased by a giant stop-motion dog rat thing. The effects are cool. Yeah, like we were saying, if you're a fan of stop motion, it's really, really cool. They find mom and dad's bracelet on the dog rat. And then they go see cracked out low gray, who it's low gray from Return of the Jedi, but it's not low gray because he looks totally different, which maybe that's like the 150 years after Return of the Jedi thing because low gray looks crazy. He whips out a magic spinning top that shows movies in it. And they see the parents, and Mace has some other great lines there. That's Dad. Where is that? What is that? What is that? It looks like a monster or something. It's so good. So Logray's all like, let's go get the Gorax. And there's a very long sequence of Shodu saying goodbye to the babies. And there's amazing crying Ewoks, and it goes on for a very long time. But it's if, if that's what you want to see, if you want to see Ewoks cry and Ewoks saying goodbye to each other for 15 minutes, you've got it. That's the drama, and that's the relationships John Cordy was trying to bring to this. And if you really think about it, it's kind of amazing that you had John Cordy on one side trying to make a relationship drama starring Ewoks, a four-year-old, and a kid, and like literally one kid who's old enough to talk. And he's trying to make that while you have George Lucas on the other side just making the wildest, weirdest creature TV show ever. And that tension between those two, you know, they made something, but you can see you kind of where each each of the cooks kind of had their own seasoning they were putting in. Because there is a lot of like crazy, it's almost like like a Lifetime movie or something. Because there's lots of crying in between the Ewoks and Sindel and Mace. And like, it's a drama that happens to have Ewoks and giant rat wolves. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a very special film. You get the sense that like the, the drama stuff is like the real part of the story. Like those are the parts where the story is actually kind of moving along and people are getting ready to do something. And then you kind of get the sense that like a lot of the things to pad it out to 96 minutes are a lot of times where the kids are put into jeopardy and something's chasing them. And you wonder, you know, those are the things added later, like George Lucas was talking about, like more monsters and explosions. And that kind of makes sense with like what we're going to be talking about next week too. <laughs> it's all kind of builds from here. Yeah, so they have the the fellowship of the Ewoks, right? With Deej, Weechi, Wicket, Willie, and of course Sindel and Mace, and they all head out. And then a tree falls, and out comes the the lumberjack Ewok Chukatrak. And there's a crystal that turns into a lizard. Mace is like stuck underwater because he sees his reflection in the water and he wants to look at it. And then he gets stuck underwater. That goes on for a really long time. Endor is the weirdest planet in all Star Wars. Well, then there's a horse chase just because probably George Lucas was driving to get lunch and he was like, oh, we've never seen a Ewok horse chase. <laughs> so we get Chuka, Chuka Truck racing on his pony to rescue the kids whose horse ran off with them in the little tent on the back of the horse. It's really kind of killing time. It's just kind of... <laughs> a good example is the Ewok movie is very much like a lot of video games where there's like four levels that are really the game, but then the game wasn't long enough, so they added like eight more levels. That's kind of the Ewok movie. There's a whole part where it's completely willow where they find these uh, magical little light fairies, uh, the Wisties. And the Wistie scene goes on for about 30, 45 minutes, which funny, the Wistie sound effect is the same sound effect used in willow for these small little light fairies that are in willow, which I remember being a kid, like, cause you only saw the Ewok adventure once. I don't think we even had a VCR in 1984. And by the time Willow came out two years later, I always remember thinking, like, this seems really familiar. 
Well, the other thing with the Wisties is they're 2D hand animated, which I think John Cordy had something to do with that since he had his animation background. I wouldn't be surprised. It looks really cool. And the, the Wisties showed up again in the uh, Ewok uh, animated cartoon, which is pretty cool. So they finally find the entrance to the Gorax cave. Uh, there's a giant spider web and there's spiders that come out and they are literally spiders on strings. You can see the strings. I don't think they're even trying to hide the strings. No, they're not stop motion. They're not go motion. They are shaking on an end of a <laughs> string motion. They're kind of terrifying and kind of goofy at the same time. And they're very Lord of the Rings Hobbit bringing back the cave with the spiders. It's another one of those scenes where I think they filmed it and they realized it wasn't long enough. So they added some more to it. <laughs> they finally get rid of the spiders because was it like Willie or something? It's got a staff that the end of the staff glows and he hypnotizes the spider and the spider falls down the cave or something. I'm not sure what goes on, but it's it's kind of awesome. So out finally comes the Gorax and oh my God, the Gorax is so incredibly cool. He's big. He's huge. He has a giant kitchen table. You know, and it is, that's kind of the fun of this is that it's in very Lucas style. It's a mix of all the famous kind of fantasy things. It's like there's some Lord of the Rings. There's some, was it the Odyssey where they go to the island with the Cyclops? That's the Gorax at this point with his big table and, and trying to rescue the little people from the cage. If it's a tool that can be used to make old stories be new and relate to younger people. That's what the whole point was. Uh, because I'm fascinated by that, and I think that's one of the things that um, I really um, got from Joe Campbell was that what's what he was trying to do is find the common threads through the various mythology, through the, the religions. Yeah, mom and dad are in a cage, and there's a big battle with the Gorax, and they finally defeat him. There's some wisties in his face. Some rocks fall on Chuka, and we have another death of an Ewok, which is extremely painful. And I guess in interviews, Amanda was really upset that they killed Chuka. <laughs> she didn't want any Ewoks to die. So I, I, can't, I can't imagine what Amanda thought of next week, but we'll... Well, that's, it's little hints of what divorce did to George Lucas over those few years. Because, yeah, you think of all the kids, myself included, still trying to get over the dead Ewoks in Return of the Jedi just to have maybe the coolest of the group die in front of your eyes with such a, his face looks so sad. <laughs> one, one thing I noticed, though, with Chuka's death in Caravan of Courage, Chuka's laying down and Mace is holding Chuka while Mace is on his knees. And then I started really thinking about it. And I was like, <laughs> Shmi. The Rise of Skywalker. Like, if you look at Chuka's death and you think of, like, the major, like, death scenes in Star Wars movies, it's kind of similar. Am I crazy? I don't know. Hey, the Gorax falls into a bottomless pit, so it's all it's all here. <laughs> it's like poetry. It rhymes. Yeah. And he crawls out of the pit. Finally, the family is reunited. Uh, there's a big party. Dan Wicket is dancing on a table, and I guess uh, I guess everything's okay now. I guess everything's going to be just fine. Sindel gets a little crown made of feathers. It's really beautiful, and uh, in the end, uh, it's all it's Star Wars, and it's all about family. It, and then you hear Burl Ives saying, uh, "Courage, loyalty, and love are the strongest forces in the universe." It's true. I don't know that's very Star Wars too. I mean, yeah. And then it ends, and yeah, I think everything's going to be just fine. It's a happy ending. Can't wait to see the sequel. I love all these characters. So here's the deal with The Caravan of Courage. It's not the movie Lucasfilm doesn't want you to see. It's just not out there right now. <laughs> but like all these forgotten things, kind of like, you know, like Jendi Clone Wars, like you were saying, it's so important to Star Wars history. It's, yeah, it's the training wheels before the dream of Star Wars on TV really took off running. And in a way it's, I think it's almost, it's a little like Phantom Menace was where when this came out on TV and I even remember feeling this as a kid, like, Hey, this isn't like the Star Wars movies. There's no spaceships and there's no Jedis, but it's still a Star Wars movie. 
it's just a different part of Star Wars, which is kind of, again, where we are with the TV shows of, hey, let's show things that are Star Wars without having to have Jedi and the Force and the Skywalkers. This is the beginning of all of that. Because even the holiday special had the main crew in it. If you can find them, they deserve a second look, a third look, a fourth look, a fifth look, or maybe a first look if you've never seen it. I don't know. They deserve to be seen. Star Wars Return of the Jedi Collection, New Wicked W. Warwick and Princess Nisa, each sold separately. Quiet, Nisa, here comes a biker scout. These last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. the deal apple podcast reviews uh when you're done listening to this if you're listening on something apple go over there leave us a little review say something nice and we can read your review in an upcoming show we got a ton last week from folks which we appreciate so much and we can't wait to to read all your reviews on yeah in an upcoming show show and make sure you check out our website blastpointspodcast.com Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you're on Facebook, make sure you sign up for the Super Chill Group. And if you want to support the show in a different way, we have got the Blast Points Army over there on Patreon with tons of bonus episodes, all the Clone Wars, Mandalorian, Disney Gallery stuff, and commentaries and all kinds of good stuff for folks to listen to. And if you're a member of the Blast Points Army already, we thank you so, so very much. And because it is Ewok Movie Month, we are doing a giveaway. Thanks to our friends at Nerd Matters, who make incredibly awesome pins that you've probably seen online. We have got these Ewok Adventure Ewok Movie card backs that they made for Celebration 2019 in Chicago with an Ewok Adventure sticker. They're like action figure card backs for action figures that were never made. They're like mini size. They're super awesome. There's Gorax. There's Cracked Out Low Gray. We're going to be giving these away every week. And to get yourself one of these, we want to see how you are celebrating Ewok Month. Are you doing Ewok movie-inspired art? Are you dressing up as an Ewok? Are you doing a clay sculpture? Are you making something out of bronze? (laughs) Could it be Ewok poetry? Ewok song? An Ewok dance? Ewok performance art? Did you dress your dog up as Sindel? Are you dressed as Mace Tawani? Show us how you're celebrating Ewok Movie Month on either Instagram or Twitter and use the hashtag Ewok Movie Month. We'll be checking it and yeah, we will announce our first winner next week. And next week, you're going to want to tune in because it is the battle for Endor. Spoiler alert, things get dark. <laughs> Next week's going to be really good. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it because it is, of the two, it is my favorite Ewok film. So yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited. We're, we're finally doing Ewok Movie Month. We've been hyping it up for four years now. So <laughs> just waiting till the right moment to talk about the Ewok movies. And it's finally here and we couldn't be happier. I can't wait. <laughs> so that about wraps up week one of Ewok Movie Month. Caravan of Courage, the Ewok Adventure. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye. May the Force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the Force be with you. Okay,
Star Rooster. May the force be with all of you.